Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Matt Tenney. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to have a conversation. Matt's going to share his experiences, not only on his entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, but his experiences and insights from his journey to becoming a leader and helping others become leaders, and then specifically how to apply that leadership to help you retain the best employees for your small business. So we're going to focus on employee retention from a small business owner's perspective. To receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. So Matt Tenney is the author of the highly acclaimed book, Serve to be Great, Leadership Lessons from a Prison, a Monastery, and a Boardroom. And over the last nine years, Matt has delivered programs that help improve employee engagement and retention to hundreds of clients, including companies like Salesforce, T. Rowe Price, Roche, Marriott, Keller Williams, L'Oreal, and many others. Matt is also an active CEO himself who's currently working to build the best workplace culture in the world. Matt lives in Nashville, Tennessee. So once again, Matt Tenney, welcome to the show. Thank you again, Henry. So you live in Nashville, but I noticed you went to school at in Tallahassee. Where, where did you grow up? I actually grew up in Wisconsin. Oh, uh, wow. Mostly. Yeah. So my I was born in Texas. My sister was born in California. But all of my kind of formative years, kindergarten through high school, was all in Wisconsin, Southeast Wisconsin. Interesting. Was it a military family? Or did you move around a lot? Or Yeah. Yeah. My dad was, uh, he, used, he was active duty Air Force, and then he was full-time Air National Guard um, for the last half of his career. And that's kind of how we stopped moving. He got kind of senior there and was stationed at uh, the 128th Refueling Group there in Milwaukee. And uh, that allowed us to stay put all the way through my high school years. And then you decided warm weather for school in part? Well, yeah, I actually started <laughs> off at University of Minnesota. Oh, wow. Uh, they, have a, they have a reciprocal agreement with Wisconsin. And uh, that the year I started college was the year after um, Wisconsin had won the Rose Bowl. I was a little late. Uh, applying and I didn't get into Wisconsin, which is where I wanted to go. So <laughs> I see. Uh, University of Minnesota Twin Cities had a reciprocal agreement, went there for two years. And then two years in, my parents had retired to Florida ah. and they called me after, a, a, I think it was a week or two after we had literally had a week where the air temperature had never gotten above 10 or 15 below zero. <laughs> and they said, Hey, yeah, you know, we're, we're getting ready to retire, move down here. What do you think about going to school in Florida? So I said, let me think about it. Okay. <laughs> Take but on. the problem was I could didn't get in-state tuition until they had been there a year. So oh. uh, I went, I actually lived in New Orleans for a year for my junior as an exchange student, um, you know, like college exchange, and then finished up at Florida State in Tallahassee. Very interesting. Why did you end up in uh, Nashville? I followed my wife. Uh, my wife and I met in Gainesville, Florida. She was uh, doing her kind of advanced training for her career in the medical field. And she got her first kind of quote unquote real job um, while she was there. And, and that's at Vanderbilt University. And at the I time, see. I was uh, almost in, entirely, um, almost almost all of my time was spent speaking and training. I was still a little bit involved with uh, a nonprofit that I co-founded and ran, um, but I pretty much just needed to be near an airport. So she said, I'd, I'm going to um, Nashville. And at the time we were courting. Um, but I was starting to move in that direction. So once we decided to get married, it was easy. Just came up here and this has been home base ever since. Yeah, that's great. You served in the military as well. But back in those years or years in college, did you have aspirations of being your own boss? Yeah, you know, I think, um, yeah, entrepreneurship has kind of always been interesting to me. And I, I yeah, I think there always has been an interest. In fact, I, I remember volunteering my senior year in college, I volunteered at a boys and girls club and was actually teaching the basics of entrepreneurship. Just, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. I just mm. knew trying to teach the kids the idea of profit and loss, mostly around math, but help the kids uh, create a kind of a ice cream stand, snack stand in their, in their neighborhood. And um, yeah, just have always been interested in the impact that you can make uh, when you're just, when you're solving problems for people. Yeah. So what leads you then to starting, I think it was after your military career, what, what led you to start your first business? 
Well, uh, my first businesses were actually nonprofits. So um, I had been living in Mexico uh, for almost a year doing volunteer work, learning Spanish, and just kind of getting clear on what I wanted to do. Uh, and it occurred to me that based on my life skills at the time, you know, I just thought I, I'd really like to, I was a martial artist and I had a lot of training in mindfulness. <laughs> I had actually trained as a monk for a little while. Um, and I thought I, I want to start a nonprofit teaching youth um, who are at risk of getting into the criminal justice system. I want to help them avoid that by teaching them mindfulness and self-awareness through the martial arts. So I, that was my first uh, entrepreneur. It was kind of social entrepreneurship, you know, mm -hmm. a nonprofit. And I've never really veered away from social entrepreneurship since, but that led to being invited to be the initially just an instructor for um, a program called Kids Kicking Cancer at the hospital there in Gainesville, Florida. And then I was pretty soon after starting invited to kind of be the co-founder. And then I ended up running it, became the director for that program. Um, and that Kids Kicking Cancer is now an international nonprofit, not through any work of of my own, but the the great founder Rabbi Goldberg and his his team have done a great job with that organization. And it was actually while I was running Kids Kicking Cancer that I was um, just noticing how I, this a big shift I had in my life um, was moving more and more towards being of service to others. You know, I'd always kind of had that aspiration, but was had always been refining it and figuring out how I could do it. Um, and I was noticing that, you know, generally, if we want to apply a spirit of service, it's something like that, right? Like volunteering or running a nonprofit. But it, it was very clear to me that when we apply that spirit of service to team members, and we, for the first two years, I had nothing but volunteers before I hired the first um, staff member for, for our program there in Gainesville. Um, and it was just very clear to me how when you, when you apply this spirit of service to team members, not only is it really enjoyable and makes it fun to be a leader, but it's really good for engagement. Like people, yeah. people are very engaged in their and, work. And it is a foundational component of leadership, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think it's the foundational component of leadership, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but yeah, so it was, I was noticing this, this impact of, it seemed like the more that I made it a priority to take really good care of volunteers and staff members and serve them well, look after their best interests, that it was, it was good for engagement. And um, so I started doing some leadership consulting around that just locally in town. And, and then one thing led to another. And before you know it, I've, I've got a book with John Wiley and Sons. Um, I'm speaking all over the place, doing conferences at, at a keynote speaker and, and training. Um, and so that was really my first kind of for-profit business, uh, but it's still a social enterprise. My, my vision is very simple. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I can imagine a world in which all leaders in workplace cultures are consistently making a positive impact on the, on the well-being and the growth of their team members. And um, I've been working to make that vision a reality ever since um, that, I, that I made that connection of, wow, you know, if you can, if you can help leaders to, to make this shift or to, or to more, most people want to do this. It's more a matter of more consistently doing it, taking really good care of team members. Not only does it help them run a better business, but that's how that vision can be created. You know, where people are, are having a positive impact made upon them by their leadership in the workplace culture. And it seems like there's always been, at least in American business, this disconnect where we say that, but we don't really mean it because we think that it's, opposite to profitability. Yeah, there is definitely, there is definitely some type of, I think a lot of it has to do with conditioning, you know, where if you think of the conditioning that we receive around particularly business, but even sports, you know, is we're, we're kind of conditioned to be really focused on winning. Yeah. Win, win and, and lose. Right. And, and there's yeah, no, there's, there's, no... there's a winner and a loser mm -hmm. and I want to be the winner. And really business doesn't just, it just doesn't work like that. Uh, I think Simon Sinek's new, newest book or second to newest book uh, really goes into that great in, in, at a great detail. Um, it's called The Infinite Game, but I, I just love that idea. You know, this is not a finite game with winners and losers. This is collabor it's a collaborative effort between team members in an organization, between that organization and the community, all around solving problems for people. The most successful organizations over the long terms are the one uh, that are solving real problems for people, right? And that's not a win-lose proposition. That's a collaborative, how do we work together to make it happen? But but, but it think can we, be a longer term focus and we're just not typically very good at that, aren't we? 
Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Particularly in the startup world, you know, everyone gets enamored with this whole idea of I'm going to launch a startup and I'm going to have this great idea, maybe get some, some version of product market fit. And I'm going to march into a VC's office and walk out with a $5 million check. And then everything's going to be rosy. And, you know, and if you're going to do that, everyone focuses on top line revenue. That's the, that's the, what everyone's obsessed with. What people should be obsessed with is the value you're creating for customers, right? Whether you have true product market fit, which is not only are people buying from you, but are you are you actually delivering to them what you said you could deliver? Yeah. And a huge component of that, if not the most comp- important component, is leading team members in that way, right? If you take really good care of team members, then you empower them to solve problems for people. You you empower them to be more innovative. You empower them to be to deliver great customer service. There, there's a great idea, which I'm, is probably cliche at this point, but you know, the customer experience is just simply never going to exceed the employee experience. Yeah. At least not for long. No, agreed, agreed. Well, will you define what, what you mean by mindfulness? Absolutely. I use it almost as a synonym for self-awareness. So mindfulness is simply being aware, which arguably all of us are if we're, if we're listening and comprehending this information right now. Uh, but the question is, while we're aware, are we identified with our thinking or do we know what thoughts are arising and passing away through the mind? And that's the distinction. So if, if, the, if you're looking for a, like a on or off, am I, am I being mindful or am I not? That to me is the question is, do you know whether or not there is thinking? And if there is, what thoughts are present in the mind or do you not? If you don't, if you if we're just totally caught up in our thinking, that's what we call being heedless or or not mindful, not self aware. But if we but do, how how is that different from what we often experience? Of I've got so much going on in my mind <laughs> that I can't shut it off. What's what's the difference there? What am I missing? The, the difference is that uh, th- that's a common idea that people have when they first hear about mindfulness. Is they they think well, this is about clearing my mind. Right. Similar to the misconception we have about meditation, for example, right? That I'm I'm supposed to go blank somehow. Right. Right. And that's not, it's not the objective. The the objective is to simply know what's happening. Now, a side effect is that if you do know what's happening and you build up an ability to have a sustained awareness of what's going on in one's mind, a side effect is that the mind quiets down rather quickly. It's an analogy I like to use. It's like, have you ever seen one of those snow globes, Henry, where it's like a crystal ball and it's got a little house in it and maybe some little flakes of snow and some water. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Yep. So hopefully many of your listeners can picture this. If we're in the States, I think most people have seen these. Um, But, you know, the idea is you shake it up and it gets all snowy, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's say that your goal was to have clear water, have all the snow settle down at the bottom. You have two ways of achieving that. One is you could try to force it down by continually shaking the snow globe to try to force that snow down to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. You already see where that's going, right? That's <laughs> that's not going to do anything except perpetuate the mess. Um, or you could just sit patiently and observe the snow globe. And if you just sit patiently and observe the snow globe, what happens to the snow? It settles and it now settles. I have clarity. Exactly. And this is exactly how mind training functions is the moment you have that self-awareness and, and you can see what's happening. It doesn't really matter how much thinking is there or not there. Um, at first, you know, the, the, only, uh, the only goal is to just be that calm observer who's just patiently observing, recognizing the way that it is. And out of that uh, comes immediately there's space around thinking where it's much easier to discern between what is a thought that is just completely driven by habits or what is a thought that is, that is something that's actually useful, something new. <laughs> right? something so so might an example be that let's, let's say I'm, I'm having an issue with, with um, my team delivering on customer service. We're failing, we're getting bad reviews, whatever. One natural reaction would be to get angry about that and, you know, shake things up and fire people or whatever. If I'm mindful, I let my thoughts come and think through what is it that I'm feeling about this? What is it that I'm observing? And letting then that that calm lead to some clarity as to how to resolve this. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh it's a way to be free from our programming. So it, let's just to say for argument's sake that our programming would be to get angry. That's understandable, right? You're you're paying people a, a salary, you're you have expectations for them, they're failing to meet them, and it's could be hurting your business. I'd I'd say it's pretty reasonable to feel frustrated or even angry in that situation. However, if you act while angry, I don't know too many people who have experienced good outcomes <laughs> from that. You know, uh, it's usually our ideas aren't very good because we're not, you know, it's the science is pretty clear on this. Mm -hmm. If your amygdala is really active, guess what's not active? Your prefrontal <laughs> cortex, which is where all of cognitive, the high level cognitive thought comes from. So you can't really do both at the same time. So it's much better to, to if you notice that there's anger to say, okay, it's perfectly fine for anger to be here, but I'm going to take a couple of minutes and just let this cool off. I might take a half a day to let it cool off. I might take a right. full day. Yep. The point is I, I want to, before I try to resolve this issue, and most importantly, before I have a discussion with somebody about it, who I, who I think is a perceived cause of the anger, I want to make sure that I'm free from that anger. And then invariably you have much better results. You, you might, you might find, oh, there was a very simple solution to this that had you reacted in anger, you never would have even seen. Yeah. All right, let's let's shift a little bit here and do a little deeper dive on on the topic of employee retention and how this can apply to helping me do that better. I thought I'd start with this question, Matt. You know, there's there's so much talk now, obviously, and we're all experiencing it as employers that the challenge of attracting and retaining employees and the the talk of quiet quitting and all of this stuff. Uh, what is your perspective? on why is it seemingly more than ever today more challenging to attract and retain employees? Well, I think at the highest level, without getting into too much detail, is we've had this experience during the COVID pandemic that resulted in some things that have always been there just becoming much more obvious to everybody. <laughs> you know, so for for the employee, for instance, all of a sudden they they realized, you know, I got sent home and I like this and I want to keep doing this. And if somebody's not going to let me do this, I'm not going to work for them. I'll go find somebody else. And because there's people have some money in their pockets, you know, the, the economy was sustained. People feel like they have a lot more choice in, in terms of where they go to work. Now, the reality is that choice has always been there. Um, people were just a little bit less, I think, brave to, to take it. Sure. Whereas, over the last couple of years, people have become a lot more brave. They're they're willing to say, hey, unless it's, I just see how much value there is to having a life outside of work. And unless I'm going to have something like that, I'm willing to make less money. I'm willing to work, to not work at all, maybe start my own consulting business. So I think that's, it's always been there. I think COVID just kind of like, it, it put fuel on the fire and ex and highlighted a problem that has always been there. And to me, the problem is really clear, and and this is backed up by some pretty interesting research that was published in MIT Sloan. Um, but the, the the core problem is that people have certain needs for thriving at work, and they have, we have certain needs for thriving away from work. Right. And if those needs aren't met, then there's immediate there's an immediate tension that comes with that, and we start looking for how do we how do we get those needs met. And so what's what's happening is if we if we have a culture in which people are not uh, those needs aren't met and they're they're experiencing lots of frustration they're experiencing stress um, there's low levels of trust there's uh, there there's a negative impact on well-being i mean th these are the most base base kind of baseline types of needs but you know if these things are happening um, they're looking for a way out and so this was actually uh, published in in MIT Sloan that you know they'd looked at, I don't, I don't remember the exact number of, of uh, employee profiles, but it was in the millions. I mean, this is a very large sample size. Yeah. And they found that by far the largest and best predictor of attrition, um, industry-adjusted attrition, was a toxic workplace culture. Hmm. 10 times more important than pay was a toxic workplace culture. Now, that if you can see pretty quickly, well, if, if a toxic workplace culture is 10 times a better predictor than pay for attrition, you can see, well, you don't have to have a toxic culture to be experiencing turnover. You can have an okay culture and you're still going to have turnover uh, simply because those needs aren't being met. It might not be 10 times more important 
than pay in that case, but maybe two or three times is important. The point is that pay is not the core issue. Um, it's important. You have to be fair, right? If, if you're if you're paying 15% less than where people could earn someplace else in that same geography, you, you're going to have a really hard time, yeah. right? I mean, there's no question about you gotta that. You got to be fair and competitive. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Right. If you, But if you're fair and competitive, your benefits are fairly similar to what everyone else has. That's pretty much a non-factor. What people are looking for is, am I going to enjoy my life when I'm working here? And the, probably the, the simplest level, am I going to am I going to find meaning in the work that I do? And am I going to grow? Those are what Gallup finds are probably the two biggest drivers of what people look for in a great place to work. Meaning and growth. And, and I agree with you. I think that COVID, what it did was, was highlight, like is the word that you used as well, this uh, disconnect. And it gave time for people to... And it empowered people to say, well, maybe I can change this. And that's what I'm going to do. Absolutely. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our show sponsor, Double. Do you ever feel like there aren't enough hours in the day to accomplish everything you need to get done? I know I do. I received some great advice on this early in my business ownership journey, and that is to delegate as soon as possible to become more efficient and grow your small business. Are you at a point in your business where you're contemplating hiring an assistant? Perhaps you're worried about not needing someone full-time yet and having a tough time finding a part-time virtual assistant that isn't overseas? That's where Double comes in. Double helps business owners by matching them with a personal assistant and providing the necessary tools to efficiently delegate administrative tasks, allowing you to focus on what you do best, running your company. Accepting only 0.5% of applicants, Double's comprehensive vetting process ensures that your personal assistant knows what they're doing and can help you save at least 10 hours in just the first month alone. Go to withdouble.com today and get 50% off your first month when you sign up with Double using the code HOWBUS22. That's withdouble.com using the code HOWBUS22 and unlock 50% of your first month. And most importantly, get time back so you can focus on what matters most to you and your business. All right, let's get into what you spell out and you help people with, which is the, the four steps to improve employee retention. And in addition to what we talked about, right? Competitive pay and benefits, assuming those things being equal, there are four steps and let's start with the first one and you can give me some some highlights and some thoughts on this and the first one is to develop strong leaders and by leaders i'm assuming you mean you know myself as the owner but also my leadership team within my company depending on how big i am yeah yeah i think the that's kind of the overarching okay. uh, approach here right which yep. is if you want to have high levels of employee engagement and retention, and I and I use those almost synonymously because they essentially are, um, you know, if you if you have high levels of engagement, almost by rule, if again, if you're paying fair and your benefits are competitive, you will have high levels of retention. I mean, Gallup has found that if you have an engaged employee, you have to somebody has to come by and offer them twenty percent more uh, minimum than what you're paying them for them to want to leave. Yeah. And and so engagement and retention, I, if I throw those around kind of synonymously, it's because they are essentially two sides of the same coin. They're both, the core issue is are we meeting the needs of employees? So who drives that? Uh, well, leaders do. 70% <laughs> of employee engagement is driven by the direct supervisor of an employee. So we often think of these grand ideas at the organizational level, like, oh, I'm going to have a four-day work week, or I'm going to have foosball tables and ice cream socials. And I'm not saying that those things are, are necessarily a bad idea. What I'm saying is that you don't necessarily have to do those things. There are more fundamental core needs that if you meet them, you're going to, you're going to do much better. And then those things just might not arise naturally as kind of icing on the cake. So the first step to this process, if we, if we want to help leaders better meet uh, the core needs of employees is first we have to kind of shift some thinking and my experience has been, and this might be yours as well, Henry, is that there's this kind of misperception that's out there that employee engagement and retention is an HR thing, right? This is, this is something where we can go to HR and 
ask them to sprinkle some magic fairy dust, you know, <laughs> from HR and our culture, and we're going to have a great culture. Um, and I think even for small businesses that don't have an HR department, they they've there's this perception that oh, it's all about the perks and the benefits. It's all HR stuff. The data is very very clear on this. Seventy percent of employee engagement is driven by the direct supervisor. So the first step is really helping leaders remember what their top priority is. And it's it's really simple. I mean, this is going to almost sound trite because it's so obvious. But what if you become a leader, whether you're the owner or a manager, the moment you become a leader of others, you have a, a shift in your primary job. Your primary job is now to inspire greatness in your team. And I mean, if you're the owner or the most senior person and, and you're in charge of strategy, let's just say it's tied with strategy because you could have the best strategy in the world, but if you can't inspire anyone to execute on that strategy, what, what good is it, right? Right. So the core, this is the first principle is that leaders need to be continuously reminded that their primary role, their primary job is to inspire greatness in their teams, which of course begs the question, well, how do you do that? Because that sounds like something only a natural born charismatic leader could do, right? How do oh, I inspire? Or the other thing I, I see, Matt, is that we think, well, that's something big corporations do. We're just a small business. We just got to worry about executing. Right. right. And this is, this is the key to executing, which will, which will become clear, I think, in a moment. So you know, what, what does this mean? What does it mean to inspire greatness? Is this some lofty aspiration that I can achieve? No, no. This is actually very simple. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy, but the process is simple. And the first, it kind of flows logically, right? That if, if, if my understand, and I haven't met anyone that disagrees with this, right? I mean, if you're a leader of any type, whether you're a leader at a, a church volunteer group or a coach of a team, your job has now become to help that team work together to do great things, right? I.e. inspire greatness in your team. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Well, the first part of that, which is step two, is you have to identify what do people need to be great? What do they need? What do they need to be happy, great human beings who do great work? And then also what, what's getting in their way? Now we have really good news on this front, which is there are two types of needs that people have for being great, for thriving in the workplace and away from the workplace. There are universal needs and there are individual needs. And the good news on the universal needs is that because they're universal, I mean, we have decades of research telling us exactly what people need. We know exactly, and it's common sense stuff, like they need to have clear performance expectations. They need to have the right tools to do their job, right? They need to feel like they're appreciated. N none of this is, is some magical thing that only a natural born leader can do. Right. It's, it's pretty simple. So the good news is here, like you don't have to go reinvent that. Uh, you, can, you can find out what these needs are. And by my lights, um, the, the research points to 14 of these universal core needs that are most strongly correlated with employee engagement and retention. So that's, that's where you start. And once you start building the habits of meeting those needs, you start to, through increased, uh, deepened relationship with employees, you start to under, uncover some individual needs that could also add a lot of value for both the employee and the employer. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you mentioned something at, at the outset of this point about uh, thinking it's the HR department's responsibility, but as you, but, but as you correctly highlighted for a lot of small business owners, we don't have HR departments, but I think that sometimes we think, well, when I have an HR department, then we'll start <laughs> doing those kind of things. Yeah. Right. And, and again, I think it's a matter of realizing that anybody, as you articulated, who is going to lead a team of one or of 10 or of a hundred, they, they are leaders. And so my job as the business owner is to be a leader, but also to help them become leaders of their teams so that they inspire greatness. Absolutely. Hey, can I, I can I share a quick hack? Sure, yeah. This first step. Yep. So we'll, we'll go back to step one because step two is fairly easy. I mean, you can just you can find these needs fairly easily. I mean, I've written a blog post on it in Business Leadership today. You can find it there. We might share a link to that in the show notes. But the fourteen needs. I mean, there's tons of research on this. You don't have to reinvent that. I think that what's really hard is that, particularly if you're a small business owner, and right now, you know, I'm working on a startup with a team of five people. And I can relate, you know, where I'm wearing 15 different hats every day. Right. And, and, you know, so the thought could be, how do I find time uh, to take care of my team and help them meet these needs? And 
for me, it's been a, it's been a process. And, and here's the process that I like to share that helps really start moving us in that direction, which is, it, it's a simple kind of hack where you just change your job description. Now, if you're the owner or founder of a company, you may not have your own job description, but the principle still applies. Basically what you do is you take your current job description or whatever you think your job is, you print that up. And at the top of it, what I'd like you to do is just write out additional responsibilities. <laughs> and then on a different sheet of paper, I'd like you to write out what your primary job is, which is some variation of my primary job is to inspire greatness in my team by serving as a coach who helps people to be happy, great human beings who do great work. End of, end of story. So that, that's your primary job as a leader. And once you have that printed up, print it and put it someplace where you can see it often and read that thing several times a day for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Use and it as a guidepost as, as to your daily actions. Yeah. Exactly. I would say, you know, here's to make it really easy for a tripwire, just go ahead and pause the, the podcast right now, create a calendar invite on your calendar or a reminder for you to do this and put three times a day, like read my new job description. And here's what happens. Now, this isn't the secret we're talking about, right? You can't just think about something and it magically happens. But what happens is when you, you read this immediately, it becomes a little bit more important to your brain and you see opportunities to be a coach that you didn't, you might not have seen before. Maybe yeah. it's just, I take five extra minutes to think about being a coach, right? I put an idea down and I put it on my calendar to go do something. And that's where the changes start happening. I mean, to give you an idea of how powerful this is, we've all experienced like the new car phenomenon, right? Where you, you, you buy a new car and before you bought that model, you never really noticed it anywhere. But the moment you bought it, you see it everywhere on the road, right? Or some other, there might be different variations for people who haven't bought a car, but mo most of us in the States have bought a car and experienced this. Now, why is that? Why is it you magically start seeing this car everywhere after you bought it? <laughs> is it because you're really cool and everyone found out you bought this car and they're like, I got to get that car too? Maybe. Although I think there's a better explanation, which is there are parts of the brain whose sole responsibility is to work together to keep us from seeing information that is deemed to be unimportant. Right. And neuroscientists, I think, refer to the reticular activating system or reticular formation as a key part of this. And it's important because apparently we receive about 11 million bits of information every second, and we can only process 50 to 100 of those bits consciously. So if we didn't have that filter, we'd probably lose our minds. Right. Uh, we would probably go crazy. So it's an important function, but there's a problem. The problem is if we don't think something is important, then we are literally blind to it. So if we don't, if we don't remind ourselves how important it is to serve as a coach who's, who's inspiring greatness in our teams, then we will be literally blind to opportunities to do that. We won't put any energy into it and it'll just be one more thing that we never get around to. Yeah. So that's how important this is. Uh, to, to be able to open our minds to seeing something that literally we, we just didn't see before. Absolutely. All right. Great stuff and great actionable tips there. So thanks for that. Uh, in the essence of time, I'm going to just briefly mention number two on these four steps. Again, one, we've just been talking about developing strong leaders, not just as ourselves, but on our, on our teams. Two is offer development opportunities. So providing an opportunity for people to learn, to develop their skills and so forth, that's part of that engagement. I want to skip, though, forward to number three, because I've got a lot of questions here, Matt. And number three is give employees regular feedback and recognition. Sounds obvious enough, but um, I often get this pushback, which is, which is, I think, real, is that, well, the traditional employee review process is broken and it's not as effective. Give me your thoughts on how do I, as a small business owner, effectively give that regular feedback and recognition? Sure. And if it's okay, I'd like to take one step back. Uh, that to me is a subcomponent of the, the step three in the process I'm outlining is a little bit broader than that. And then we can zoom in on, on uh, giving feedback. Uh, is that okay? Sure. Yeah. So, the, so just to kind of... Uh, summarize here. Um, so step one is re reminding ourselves of our true job, which is to inspire greatness in our team. Step two is to identify what people need uh, in order to thrive, in order to be great. And step three is to regularly get feedback as leaders from our direct reports on how well we're meeting those needs. Right? How well are we meeting the needs that people have to thrive? And this is absolutely essential because we all have blind spots, right? We we all, it's, and it's very hard to get this feedback face-to-face. -face. Very few people want to tell their boss 
that they're a crappy listener right? <laughs> right? Yeah. or things like that. Now, here's where this gets extra powerful is, so this can be done with any type of little survey. I mean, you can use a free Google Forms uh, or SurveyMonkey or something like that. And the idea is you try to get feedback in little chunks. So where small businesses probably don't deal with this in most cases, but where larger businesses really fail is when they're trying to get feedback, they do it in huge chunks where you're getting, you're asking 50 questions on a survey, an employee engagement survey, and then you get inundated with all these things you need to fix. And, uh, and it, by nature, it takes a long time to make meaning of the data and then to come up with a plan for how you're gonna act. And so all this time passes before you can actually take meaningful action. And that is extremely problematic. So it's much better to ask one simple thing like, hey, do, do you feel appreciated? You know, some variation of that question. Do you have the tools you need to do your job? Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like you're getting regular helpful feedback, which is what you're alluding to and we'll get into here in a second. Because if you just ask one question at a time or, or one behavior for one of those needs, now, you, if, you, if you know what you're asking, you know what you're going to ask, you can put some thought into it beforehand and you can respond pretty quickly. And there are very few things that will build trust with team members better than to quickly respond to feedback that they give you. Right. And, and if you don't, if, if it goes silent, then people lose trust in the whole process. How, how frequently are we talking about here that you've seen it as a, as a best practice? Well, well, what we recommend is every two weeks. And that's if you have, um, it's a little bit of work on the front end to, to build it out. But you, you know, you kind of come up with your questions. You come up with, how am I going to, how am I going to address these? Like, how, how could I make expectations more clear? Um, how could I make sure people have the tools to do their job? How could I help uh, appreciate people more often? How can I help people grow? All these different needs. Um, you want to have a plan before you send the survey out. And that way you can respond very quickly. And then the idea is once you have kind of that foundation set up, uh, it's very easy. I mean, you, you send out a survey, people give you your feedback. Two days later, you say, okay, I put some thought into this. Thank you for your feedback. This is what I need to be a, a better leader. And now what, where this gets really powerful, back to your question about giving feedback to employees is that you can create a culture of feedback where people are looking forward to it. And this is where this is, I think you were alluding to this. This is one of the biggest issues I see right now is that we've created this culture, this entire cultural norm that feedback is something you do once a year yeah. in a, in a annual performance review, a big right? structural, big event that, you know, and it's, it's kind of and contrived it's, and it's just doesn't, and it's really, tied to pay. It's so tied basically to pay. you yeah. go into it thinking, so this isn't you being a coach. This is you judging me and determining whether I get paid more or not. Yeah. And nobody a likes terrible it. Terrible setup. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have annual performance reviews, right. but I'm saying that you, if you can work up to it, you should get rid of them. <laughs> you can't just get rid of them overnight, probably, but much better is to have continual regular feedback that is in the spirit of coaching. Let me, let me give you an example of how silly this is, really is when you take a step back and think about it. Imagine, imagine an NFL quarterback who gets out on the game, you know, week one, throws three interceptions, and no one gives him any feedback. Uh, week two, you know, two interceptions, no touchdowns, no one gives him any feedback. The whole season goes on like this. And then at the end of the season, they say, you know, Fred, um, you've, ha you've had a pretty terrible season. We're going to have to let you go. And, oh, by the way, um, you know, your elbow flares out to the right. That's probably why you're throwing so many interceptions. Like, that sounds ridiculous in the world of sports, right? Mm -hmm. This is exactly what's happening in organizations every yeah. day. But Matt, we right. still do need to have a formal component to it because I still need some level of documentation if someone's not performing well, Yeah. Or Absolutely. do I just treat them as in a as a separate situation and document the outliers only that need performance improvement? No, I think it's definitely better to have feedback conversations that are constructive in nature um, as separate conversations from from coaching and development conversations okay. that are higher level. And just on a more frequent basis than just the annual review. Yes, ideally, people should be receiving some type of feedback every week. Now, if you develop a habit of appreciating people for doing things right, and I don't mean like it has to be awesome, just here's a simple habit you can create is just put a calendar reminder on your calendar that pops up every afternoon and just says, hey, take three minutes to think, did anybody do anything right today? 
And if you can think of somebody who did something right, just write them a note with de with detail. So it's not just, hey, thanks, great job. Like that doesn't really do anything, but say, hey, yeah. thanks, Susan. I noticed you took an extra five minutes with that customer and it she lit up. She really enjoyed the interaction. And I know that you were late for your break and you still did that. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. That is so powerful, right? Yeah. So it's, it's the, do... this, the mentality of catching people doing the right thing, which by and large, that's what people want to do. If we, if we help them and we coach them and we enable them, most people, most employees want to do the right thing. Absolutely. Now, if somebody's not living up to expectations, then it needs to be addressed as quickly as possible, but in the spirit of coaching, you know, and, and it's not the, the mentality is, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing this to judge you. Uh, I'm not doing this because I'm thinking about firing you necessarily, you know, which hopefully if, if you have regular coaching, that shouldn't be an issue. You know, usually right. that's, that's when there's been a, a buildup of lots of uh, poor behaviors or performance, but the, the mentality is, you know, I have high expectations for you. I hired you because I think you're smart and I want to help you be the best that you can be because that's, what's best for you. That's actually one of the core needs people have. Yeah. People want to be excellent. Henry, have you ever met a person who wakes up in the morning first thing and says, today, I would like to be mediocre <laughs> and not today, but every day for the rest of my life, right? No one says that, but we see mediocre people all over the place. Why? Because of bad habits. And so if you can be a coach who helps people develop habits for being excellent, you're actually meeting a core need that people have that's really hard for people to meet on their own. So this is, this is a way where you can add value if you're serving as a coach. And an easy way to start building that kind of relationship is to, is to obviously you frame it. You frame the conversation in that way. Hey, this is quick coach coaching conversation, you know, all in the interest of helping you do great work that you're really proud of uh, and that helps you find more fulfillment in your life. Um, I noticed this happen. What do, you, what do you think about that? You know, let them tell you, you know, okay. So I noticed you did this and um, why, 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 what happened there? Can you tell me more about it? And you let them kind of say like, okay, well, this is what I did and say, okay, well, what did you think the outcome was? Oh yeah, it was this, it wasn't quite as good as it could have been. Okay. Well, what do you think, what do you think could have been done better in that case to, to have a better outcome? Oh yeah, it, I could have done this or that. And if they don't see the light, you can help them. But the more that you can be a coach who's just asking questions and help people developing themselves, the, the less it feels like judgment and the more it feels like, wow, this person really cares about me. <laughs> you know? yeah. They're not you trying know, to just get more milk out of me. They're, they actually care. Yeah. I think that one of the challenges to this though, because it, it is, a, I think a mindset shift here is as small business owners, we feel like we're so busy. We're doing great to get around to the annual review that's six months late, right? Because we don't look at this as a continuous coaching and leadership situation. Yes. That, and that, that is a, a misconception that is very easy to fall prey to, but here's the simple way around it. I mean, this is kind of an, an intellectual way around it. This is kind of a thought experiment, but if you, if the thought experiment makes sense to you, then I would suggest just give it a try. And if you can do it for a month, you'll probably never go back. But the idea is having regular one-to-one -one meetings with team members and depending on their level of, of skill, I mean, that could be once a month if they're these are senior thought leader type or thought level thought worker type people. I would recommend once a week, but it doesn't have to be long, 20, 20 minutes, maybe 30 maximum. But these are conversations about basically you're asking, how can I help you thrive? Yeah. You know, how, how can I help you to, to do great work, to, to be a happy, uh, great human being. And, and sometimes, you know, there might be some feedback in there that's mixed in. But here's what happens. So when, when managers hear this, and I imagine some people listening are thinking this right now, they're just thinking, are you kidding? <laughs> That's just one more. I don't have time for that. That's don't one more thing I have to do. So let me put it to you this way. I can promise you this. You are going to spend the time one way or the other. The question is, how do you want to spend it? Do you want to spend it on the back end, putting out fires, dealing with huge mistakes that could have been resolved if you caught them when they were small, firing people, continuously hiring new people because you had to fire people or they quit? Or would you rather spend the time on the front end having a conversation where you're a coach aimed at helping people to thrive, where you walk away feeling energized, they walk away feeling energized, and you end up saving time? Because yeah. if you put in that work up front, 
you're not going to be dealing with nearly as much of the fires on the back end. So you'll probably end up spending less time overall. It's actually a time saver. And the time you do spend is way more fulfilling for everybody. And that's where you start building this culture of like, wow, work is actually kind of meaningful. We care about each other and we're coaching each other to be great. This is cool. That's where great cultures are built. It's not in the it's not in the cool office or the perks or the core values written on the wall. It's little behaviors repeated over and over again that demonstrate that we're in this together. We care about each other and we're helping each other be great. That's that's what a great culture is. Agreed. Thank, thanks for sharing those those tips. All right. In the essence of time, let me just wrap it up with number four. All right. I, I believe is build trust through flexibility and autonomy, correct? Uh, well, that's certainly one of the one of the needs uh, that is is on one of the fourteen needs, right? Is to to build trust by extending autonomy to people. Um, if you're referring to kind of our our high level yeah. four step process, correct, correct. Um, the fourth step is so when you're getting the third step is to get the feedback, right? Yep. The fourth step is you to respond to that feedback as quickly as possible, where you sync up. And we kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, the the fourth step is if you're a small team, you can't afford to have training for your for your managers. What you can do is just, I mean, have some just do a Google search, get a book. But you know, if it's like if, if you know you're gonna send out a survey on um appreciation, have a plan for how you can show appreciation more frequently and more impactfully before you send that survey out. So that's step four is to try to sync up feedback and leadership development as tightly as possible. Because when those two things are synced up, one, it's way easier for managers to develop new habits that actually stick because you're just working on one thing at a time. And that's not how training is usually done, right? Usually we're, mm -hmm. we go to like a half a day of training or a full day of training and we walk away with tons of great ideas. Then we get back to the office. <laughs> it's like, I don't have time to do any of that stuff. And we forget about it. But if it's just one little habit, like, oh, can I catch one person doing something right every day? Yeah. And that's also a great place to start, right? I'm always looking for how, if I'm doing none of this now very well, where do I start? That that alone I have found is such a, because it helps with the mind shift, Matt, of thinking very differently about how to lead your team, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's probably... The most leveraged thing you can do by that i mean in terms of engagement and retention because it's one of the simplest things to do i mean it literally can take five minutes a day maybe 10 at the most but it makes such an impact so quickly i mean i've seen this in organizations where within two weeks of starting something like this their culture has just shifted yeah where people are just nicer to each other. They collaborate yeah, more yeah. there. Well, it shifts from an environment, which I think, again, talked the, the point I made at the outset and you clarified as well, which is we think that in business, and sometimes then this spills over to how we deal with our customers, it's about protecting us from what might be done to us wrong, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that we have to put in all these controls and guardrails in place so employees don't uh, break the rules or take advantage of the situation or mistreat and mistreat customers. And all those things are partially true. But the reality is, as we have shared, is if we enable people and we lead people, they want to do the right things. And a culture where you look for them doing the right things uh, just feeds on itself and creates much more positivity and a much better environment that people want to stay part of. Absolutely. Okay. Tell us how you uh, now help companies implement this approach and and get better employee retention you help them at a high level we've gone through these four steps at a very high level but how is it that you help them execute on this well my team has actually put together kind of a software tool that automates the whole process that we described so um, it it has all the surveys built in it has five minute training videos that people can watch immediately after they get their feedback on how well they're meeting needs. Um, and it it automates the whole process so that it all uh, an organization needs to do is put in their org chart and everything else kind of takes care of itself. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, I still do live training. I still do keynote speeches. Um, and that's, I've been doing that for a decade, the, the leadership development work. Um, but I've realized that that's not nearly as scalable and it's not actually as effective. I mean, this is kind of me solving my own pain. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, the idea is we want to, if we're going to 
do training, we want to do it in a way that actually creates new behaviors that are then repeated, that then become habits that stick. And if we go to the website, we can find this content, right? You, you share it all there that I can take and, and try to implement myself if I want to, right? Well, actually, yeah. If you, uh, if you wanted to put a link in the show notes, um, we can do even better than that. We've got a, a page where you can go, um, where you can get a, a 20 minute training that kind of, it goes a little bit more in detail into the process. And then if it's something where you just say, wow, this is something we really should be doing, really want to be doing, um, we'll be happy to just give it to you for free. I mean, we'll, we'll give you all the questions that we ask. We'll give you the, um, what do you call it? The outlines for the, uh, the training videos that we've created. And we'll even jump on a call and help you set it all up internally if you want to. I mean, our, that's our, our primary goal is to, is to just help people implement this process, whether they want to do it in-house or, or hire us to do it for them. Excellent. Well, I will get that link from you and we'll have that on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. Matt, we'll wrap it up. Last two questions. What, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about leadership, but as it relates to helping us with employee retention from a small business owner's perspective, what's one thing you want us to take away? Uh, the most pri primary thing, the most important thing to, in my mind is to be continually reminding ourselves of what our true job is as a leader, which is to inspire greatness by serving as a coach who helps people to thrive, who helps people to be great human beings, happy human beings who are doing great work. Because if we can continually remind ourselves of that, it's a, it becomes easier and easier over time to step out of the being in the business and in the weeds all the time and doing the things that are going to drive growth and, and long-term success for the organization. And I loved your, your tip on how to keep that top of mind by creating a reminder or, or some other tool. One of the things I do is I, I take a physical index card and I'll write on there. I would write that down and have that present, you know, either on my desk or wherever, because I do think that that's such a powerful way to get it top of mind so that we focus on it. Absolutely. Where do you want us to go online to learn more? Uh, well, you can certainly visit mattenny.com. That's probably the easiest place to get started. Um, but we'll have a, a special link for you to share in the show notes, if you like, where people can go and see the, the free training and uh, learn how to get access to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. And it's Matt with two T's and Tenny with two N's. Correct. Yeah. Excellent. Matt, great conversation. We could go on for hours and hours. And I, I, I hope to maybe have you back on the show again in the future. Thanks for taking the time and for sharing this knowledge with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Henry. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of the How of Business. My guest again today was Matt Tenney. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.